0: What is going on, everybody? We got my man, Jeremy Epperson, the guy with the greatest hair in all of California. How you doing, Jay? Good to see you today. Doing great. Good to be here talking to you, Jordan. This is uh, one of my favorite topics, so. So for everyone tuning in to the Marketing Agency Systems Show, which the name is still pending, Jeremy runs Conversion Guides. He's a client of mine, he's a friend. This guy's a fucking baller, to put it simply. And Jeremy and I were talking about customer success in one of our Slack channels. And Jeremy, I saw you posted this epic, you know, like multi-comment thread and you had a big graphic and, you know, I discovered you're a customer success genius and you have some really dialed in systems on how to provide clients with great experiences, but then also build really great onboarding systems, systems to grow relationships and then systems to upsell clients so ultimately the LTV goes as high as possible and we retain clients as long as possible. So I super stoked to hear how this goes for everyone listening. Um, can you just give the quick high level, who are you? And then we let's just dive straight into the value on the call. Yeah. So this is just to give like the background on this. So I've consulted
1: with 212 businesses in like some form or another over the last 15 years. And I've tried everything probably made every mistake you could possibly think of. And then some, you couldn't imagine. (laughs) So this, this has been a trial and error process and uh, you know, I've done a lot of training on this, even for like other agencies or like software companies that are working on customer success and stuff. Yeah. This is, this is my framework that I use in all of my businesses. And when I'm consulting with other businesses, I, I help them with it as as well. So like it's basically a five-step framework. So, the first step is perceived expertise and authority. So in the consulting space and the agency world, if you're selling like high ticket, like software, like people don't want to be sold to, they want to deal with someone who's an expert. Yep. They want per- that person to help build a strategy, not pitch at them. So I'm very particular about that aspect. It's the, the first part of it is obviously like attracting the ideal clients. So if you don't have the right fit with the right client on their side or on your side, then you're not gonna have a high LTV because things are gonna come up that don't make sense. And I feel like a lot of agencies or consultancies, they're grabbing whatever they can and they're not qualifying, or I guess I should say disqualifying hard enough to make sure that they're just picking those perfect deals. So I think like what it really comes, comes down to is like client selection and then proving your expertise by either showing results by either showing expertise or um, institutional knowledge in their industry. And there's a couple other things that are like involved in that as well. Like we always show ROI projections just so people, anybody that we're potentially going to work with understands like here is exactly how much money we can make you and you are able to hold us accountable to those numbers. So I know that's running through a lot really quickly, but I don't know any thoughts or questions you have on that?
0: Yeah, no. So that's actually an interesting, it's a perspective I've talked about but not verbatim, right? First and foremost, you want to make sure that you're qualifying your appropriate prospects because just by qualifying the right people, obviously that makes complete sense. You're going to have a longer LTV. Beyond that, you want to make sure that they're the right client who respects your authority. And then from there, you really need to, in a very specific way, demonstrate competency, expertise, and really this authority. So there's a few ways to do that show them the results you've had, show them knowledge, right? I talked about demo, like for me, it's easy to do demo. That's how you and I got into relationship in the first place. I'm like, let's just do an experience. So you see that I'm not a fucking fraud. And then I love how you said show ROI projections. I think a lot of agencies are afraid to show ROI projections because then they're gonna be held accountable. So they actually just don't do it at all. But you're saying you should be showing the ROI projections. Otherwise it's just like on a subconscious level probably doesn't give that sense of credibility or defined expectation.
1: And, and actually I've, I've like data based a lot of interesting information on this as well. So if you're talking about thresholds of what's going to contribute to LTV, like what we do is we're saying, here's your break-even point. This is the minimum. And here's how we pay for ourselves as a minimum. But like clients don't stay with you because you pay for yourself. <laughs> like that's not enough, right? I think the threshold is... If like what we shoot for is three to five X ROI in the first 90 days. And if you can get above 10 X in really like any timeframe, then like clients are gonna stay with you because you've paid for yourself exponentially and like everything is free money after that. So those are like the thresholds that I've seen, obviously anything higher than that is is amazing, right? But um, those are kind of the numbers that we use to shoot for. And so we can lay that out very specifically also we're like doing conversion rate optimization like i'm on the hook for results there's no there's nowhere to hide (laughs) like we're not a branding agency we can't just like make designs like things like that so i do want them to see the numbers and i also want to frame the expectations around what's realistic because i think that's an important part of this as well is I've, i've seen everything from you know we don't think this is going to work and we're pretty strongly against it to can you guys double our business from 25 to $50 million in the next year? And it's like, okay, well, that's a wide range of, of possibilities. So I want to be in the driver's seat of managing those expectations. So we have like a good client relationship and we're like aligned on what we can realistically get done.
0: Very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And I'm going to give you the context and what's common questions come up for clients. A lot of clients oversell or they're actually afraid I'm thinking of one client in particular, they're almost afraid to be honest. Like I've seen some PPC agencies, for example, that have a 70% failure rate, but the 30% of the clients that succeed do like a 20X ROAS, for example. But the 30%, the 70% that don't, like maybe two, three, four. And I've seen, I have some viral marketing clients who once again, right? Like TikToks, I have a handful of agencies on TikTok They're afraid to be honest. So how could you set expectations that set the bar, but like thinking more agnostic to specific niche within agencies that doesn't also oversell you at the same time?
1: I think one thing that goes unnoticed, that's like almost unintentional or unconscious or something is um, like, there's a fine line between confidence in your results and your process and your team and hyperbole like hyperbole doesn't help. Right. So like, there are a lot of people like in my specific niche, there's a lot of people who just make crazy, crazy ass claims, to be honest. And then it's like, well, now you've just given me a point of differentiation because of honesty in building a relationship and a consulting relationship when you're helping grow someone's business is more important than anything. So like, I think about it completely differently. I don't want to oversell. If anything, I want to undersell, <laughs> you know, I want to, in, in terms of like being honest and straightforward. Right. So these are relationship businesses. This is about building relationships, like with people that you're gonna work with for a long period of time. So if the intention is I wanna work with this client for a year, two years, three years, like setting the right expectations is super important. And there's gonna be a threshold of like what you can accomplish in a short timeline. Like what I've seen from like just being in the agency world is if you can't post your numbers between 85 and 115 days, you're probably in trouble, like you're going to get fired, right? Like they have to, there has to be some short-term win that's quantifiable and there has to be like an upside long-term like potential. And it's like balancing those two things against each other.
0: I love that. So that encapsulates step one, right? Demonstrate expertise and authority, set very honest and clear expectations with a threshold of what can happen in 90 days. Don't oversell them. Be very honest with it because i actually think that's an amazing point like we want to be build a relationship that could last for years and the only way to do that is by treating people with respect and honesty that it's so logical but you know i think it just highlights where i'm almost like i can't believe not everyone's doing it it just shows how far this industry has gone astray where it's like let's just close fucking deals and it's goes completely <laughs> against, goes completely against what it's in my opinion what's the right thing to do with people awesome so that's step one let's move to step two talk to me about step two um yeah i think like it says build rapport and alignment
1: i think alignment is the most important part of this honestly like obviously rapport is important like you're going to have a relationship where you're speaking with people on a weekly basis maybe you're emailing or slacking them like they have to like you if they don't like you they're not going to want to work with you so like you have to check that box but i think alignment is the important part i am so particular about over communicating Like I'm slow to close deals. I don't try to close deals as fast as possible. I do the opposite. I actually push them out and have more meetings to make sure that we've worked through everything. We do everything from like a 90 day growth plan that has, this is literally everything we're doing on a week over week basis. And every week we go into those meetings when we're like onboarding the project and say, look, here's what we accomplished this week. So if we're not aligned on what we're trying to accomplish in that 90 day window, things are gonna slide sideways. Right. So like getting that level of buy-in and getting that little ownership from like the client side that like, okay, we're excited about this plan. We're 100% clear about it. Like we know exactly what we're going to get. We know exactly the timelines that just eliminates a lot of problems, both for closing, but also like when you're actually onboarding and uh, having to execute on a
0: week over week basis few questions from that. So it sounds like you're showing them a timeline before you close. You're adding the value, at least for you at the CRO level, showing them the very specific timeline, when they will get results and what will be done on a week by week basis before the deal is closed. And then once the deal is closed on a weekly basis, we are now specifically showing them what we're committing to and what will happen, right?
1: Yeah to even add to this just to like demonstrate it please Uh, do (laughs) yeah my my sow is almost four pages long of bullet points that's how detailed like our like scopes are like not the contract not like the legal msa contract but like here's exactly what you get it's pages long of bullet points of this is exactly what we're responsible for this is what you're responsible for this is everything that's included here's you know we just excruciating detail because like I said, you have to be aligned, right? And I feel like that's a big miss is any ambiguity about what a client should get or when they should get it. Those are the friction points that come up that frustrate clients. And that's why they quit because they get mad about things because they don't understand what's happening or they're not communicated with, or you know, they don't actually understand what they're getting. So just, I've gone through many iterations to try to figure out like, how do we eliminate, like how do we proactively eliminate any issue that could come up like dealing with it on the front end before we close. That's, that's like the, the approach here.
0: And the big one is extremely clear expectations on what they're responsible for and what you're responsible for, showing them the timeline and showing the time, how the timeline will be communicates them, right? Absolutely, yeah.
1: And I think, and that's one of the things, I've had people thank me for doing this. Like before they close, I've had clients who have not closed, but like just walking through this process has like transformed how they think about their business right? Because you're you're framing up like, this is what works. This is the process that works. These are the things that need to be done. And if it's not a fit, that's okay. But like, I've still added that value. I want any, any process or interaction that I have with like a potential client or someone in the industry, I want them to have learned from it and got something valuable no matter what. And like, I think that comes across too, like that level of like, yeah.
0: you know, that level of like detail, integrity and service. Beautiful. So I want to go just a level deeper, right? Yeah. When you are showing them on the SOW, outside of what they're responsible for and what you're responsible for, one of the things you said is how it will be communicated. What are you saying on the SOW in terms of you guys at conversion guides on how you're going to be communicating to them? Like, because when I think of this, is it an email? You said Slack. Are you going to be showing them a picture of what you did? Like, how are, how are you actually lining that up and then on the back end, executing it? like I said, like we have a Gantt chart.
1: I mean, this is just like old school consulting, right? Like we have a Gantt chart project plan that shows everything that we're doing. So like the first thing I do in a weekly basis with every client is where do we stand in the project plan? We're in week four, have we completed everything? If we haven't completed everything through week four, what's the reason for it? Because I need to be communicating that to them. If something is a dependency from their team that has blocked us from making progress, that's the time at which we can communicate that and go, hey, look, you guys haven't been responsive. This is just a hypothetical example. You haven't been responsive. We're a week behind on this thing now. Now's the time to be agile and fix this problem before it turns into a bigger problem. So having those checkpoints on a week-to-week basis is not just accountability for, for the client because they're like, okay, we see you're doing everything. It's also accountability for, for an ability for us to hold them accountable. And if there's any process-related issues, I want to catch them and call those out before they have an opportunity to call it out. That's really big for client management. If they call out a problem, I'm in trouble. If I call out a problem because I see it two steps before they do, then it's strategic guidance. Then it's like being a good partner. Then it's like you know, understanding what's actually happening and how the project is evolving. So I think that's a big part of this too.
0: You know, I remember being an undergrad student at Ohio State learning about Gantt charts. I was like, <laughs> I was like eh, fuck that. No, no one does that shit but actually now i mean those are great do you have a specific software you're using for the gantt chart
1: no we just use google docs
0: it's got not it. so unique. you're you're literally just physically building it out yeah exactly yeah got it and for these meetings so you have your weekly meetings with them is that for the life cycle of the client or is that just maybe for the first 90 days do the l- weekly meetings where you establish and maintain alignment ever end That's, no, that's a critical
1: part of like managing highly complex technical projects. So yeah, we work on a sprint cycle, like the same way that like a development, I mean, we are a development team, we're an engineering team. That's a big portion of what conversion rate optimization is. So like, you know, digital marketing teams, they can function a little bit differently, but um, we're moving at a, such a rapid pace that you don't really have the opportunity to like push meetings out or like not communicate. So like, we want more touch points. Um, We try to keep work off clients as much as we can. But they have to be involved in collaborating the process. So our weekly syncs are not just like here's a couple action items for you. Here's a couple things we did. Like we're digging through what kind of results have we gotten? Like where do we stand as far as like ROI? As far as like winning tests? As far as like producing specific amounts of revenue? We're doing that on a weekly basis. We're also um, adding like research and we have like strategic exercises and like research deliverables that we're presenting on a weekly basis. There's a lot of stuff that just comes up where uh, you know being like a chief growth officer like type person in silicon valley for so long there's just random questions. Like CMOs just want to ask me stuff because I get to see what a lot of businesses are doing simultaneously. So those are all value adds. Like I don't want it to be like I don't even call myself an agency anymore. We're like an anti agency because I don't want to be perceived like that. I want yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Like- I <laughs> that, I'm the same way. I don't, in my space, I'm a consultant, but I want to be the anti-consultant. I, I call myself the business partner. We like, and I love that. that I think this is why you and I align so well. Cause it's like, we have the same methodology or approach, right? Your methodology is way more dialed in than mine, but it's, I'm not, a, I'm not just going to be your CRO. I'm going to be like your business partner. And like, dude, you're doing so much. This is great. I love it. The dynamic that I have is,
1: they're adding an extra executive to their team. So like that that's how I want it to be perceived, and that's how I behave. Like I treat their business like it's my business, and I also act an, in an executive role in their business. That's irreplaceable, right? If you want to talk about lifetime value, like you get a pretty affordable <laughs> addition to your executive team that um, it's kind of like a second CMO with radically different skill sets. so I don't know, I think that's a big part of it too. Like not every business is going to be able to do that. Like if you have a mid-level account manager, like a paid search agency, like they're not going to have that same perception or dynamic, but um,
0: yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this, in the weekly syncs, you said you were going, I'm, I want to get like granular. Okay. What results have we gotten? We're showing you the research that we've now done during the week. So I guess before I move on, like to what are things, is the research presented in graphs? Like how are you actually presenting that research and even doing exercises around it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we'll pull like analytics data. So there's like a number of different like custom reports and analytics data the data that we can pull segmentation, like understanding like how users are interacting with a website because obviously that's what we're focused on. So there's like aspects of that where we're parsing out like different research deliverables like that. We also do customer interviews. We do polling and surveying. We use like heat map data and like session recordings. What we're trying to do is get a 360 degree understanding of customers and that should basically persist through everything that happens in the business. So what we're trying to generate is a hub of insights that changes how the business and everyone in the business thinks about their market, their marketing, their product, their customers that's what we're trying to accomplish so it's it's very like on a granular level we're obviously doing research that changes how they think it also lays over into every channel so like the research work we do changes how you know email campaigns are personalized it changes how like customers are targeted for like search and social you know again it's like it's like a hub of insights and a cmo needs a hub of insights because for the most part for you know, 25 to even hundred million dollar businesses, they're flying blind on a lot of things. You know, they're spending potentially hundreds of thousands a month and like even just like search and they're doing it blindly and they need to
0: understand what the hell is going on. I love this. So in the sinks, we have the results. We're showing them the results. And by the way, I'm, I'm keeping a, a list of like things I would love to see if you're open to it. Like I would love to see kind of all these documents, the SOW, the Gantt chart, the weekly communication examples, If I could get a call, the strategic exercise examples, the analytics data, like if I could look at this because it's for me, I'm just nerd central right now. I'm totally geeked, like kid in a candy store. This is music to my ears. And I love that you put so much work into this. So results we've got in, research, what comes after, you know, in these weekly syncs, showing them results, presenting the research and the data. What what else are we doing on a weekly basis? We're getting approval feedback or having conversations around like campaigns
1: that we're launching or tests that we're launching, like that's really important. So we get, um we have two checkpoints where we're like, here's the strategic idea. Here's the hypothesis that we have for what we're wanting to test. We're getting a green light on that. We're running out all the implementation work, everything from copy, design, development, test setup, QA. Like we're basically managing all that as an outsourced team. And then before anything goes live, we're having that second checkpoint of, okay, you're launching something right now that is potentially gonna make or cost us money. So we want the client to be very involved. One, it prevents mistakes from happening because we have multiple checkpoints like that. It's like, okay, you approve the copy, then you approve the design, then you approve this test going live. So you can't come back three weeks from now and say, hey, you guys didn't do this the right way, right? Like that's a, that's a intense level of accountability, right? So like everything is a checkpoint to make sure that we're preventing any issues from happening. Here's
0: one. I have a client right now, last week, I think it was the call after you last week. He's working with an Israeli business. I'll leave it very agnostic. They are nitpicking every single thing on the campaign. What you're saying in these checkpoints around the hypothesis and the approval for the go live, the client must sign off. Do you ever have a situation where like the client just, just too much?
1: Well, okay. So they can still have like they still have the options, it's still their business, right? So like, like, I'm not forcing them to do things they don't want to do, just to like put it bluntly, but, um, but it's about building that buy-in, right? So like they, to get buy-in for anything that you're trying to like sell to a client, like they have to have some level of involvement. They have to feel some ownership over it, right? So like we're very big on collaboration, even if that collaboration is just asking for those touch points or making sure they give approval or we always ask for feedback. Sometimes I tell them we're not going to change that because that's, that doesn't make sense. Right. Like like we know for a fact that doesn't work or that's unimportant. Like I give very blunt, like assertive feedback and I expect that from clients as well, but you know, that's, that's kind of this, like this next step. I'll kind of show this again. I got pulled up on my end too. Okay. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the strategic leadership portion. So, um, here's, um, I don't know, some of the stuff I don't talk about like openly in podcasts and stuff because it's like what we're doing behind the scenes. But um,
0: there's- We, don't, like have to, we gi- don't have to go into all of it. No, 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 no. no that's okay.
1: I, I, I'm very open, I'll share. There's order givers and there's order takers. And you wanna be in one of those buckets. And you know I'll let everybody decide which one they wanna be in. But once you get categorized, I've, I've observed this in literally hundreds and hundreds of like interactions between my agency, other people who are in agencies. Once you get categorized in order taker, it is really hard to- Rain that back in. So like one of the things that we talk about is like strategic leadership is like, clients can give us feedback, but we tell them the strategy first. We show them the options first. We give them our thinking behind like why we're structuring a, a test or a campaign a certain way. We attach all the research and data to that. So there's something, so it's supported. It's not an opinion, you know, it's it's actually based in data. So we're doing all those things. So we're strategically leading in every interaction. And whenever that flips, cause I've made this mistake with, you know, a, a number of times before I figured it out. And it's like, once you turn into that like order taker, like they're gonna run you around. You know what I mean? You're never gonna get it back. So like that damages LTV. It damages the relationship. It changes the dynamic in a way that makes client management really challenging. And I've seen really intelligent, like assertive people like fall into this trap Because they're not just seeing like the little nuances of like, okay, now the client is asking us to do things instead of us laying out our strategy and having them stick to it or help evolve
0: it. So going back to that client who's working with the Israeli, I think he's, the tables have turned. He's in that situation. What do you do when a client is really starting to push back at you and ask for a lot how can you sustain in that place of strategic leadership? I, I mean, I say that I have my own approach. I'm curious what yours is.
1: That's why I'm so, that's why I, I, I detail this like to an excruciating level because once that flips, like I said, I haven't observed like that script flipping and being able to turn it back around. I don't actually even know how you do that. I've never done that. So like, I've just burned those accounts <laughs> because I've made those mistakes, right? And then you take extensive notes on it and you figure out here's the three to five things we did wrong so you know part of that is like for cro it's like hey we've been having some conversations and we think we want to test this thing and i go okay so where did you get that from like where is this idea coming from Well, we had a brainstorming meeting okay is that tied to customer data no it's not did you do any research to support this no we didn't okay well let's go back to what we're trying to accomplish here we're trying to maximize results in the shortest amount of time possible so your opinion about what you want to test is not going to stand up and be prioritized over the top of we have an extensive amount of research and data to prove that these are the five things that are preventing people from buying your product right so like there's got to be it can't just be you pushing back for the sake of pushing back it's It's got to be be data driven okay it's got to be and, and the more it can be data driven the better and if you're not in a position to be data driven then there better at least be a reason like pushing back for the sake of pushing
0: back isn't like yeah, help. it's combative. You, you need you yeah. need to go back to step number two, which is build rapport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preferably from the beginning. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. So strategic leadership. I think this makes a lot of sense. But one of the things you have written down there is continually resell the value. Could you highlight like some ways you do that?
1: Yeah, I probably do this to an annoying level, but it's what the things that we're doing are so valuable that like I don't get called for it, but. Like in every meeting, like if we, when we have like a winning test, when it's like, Hey, look, we just made you $50,000. My buddy, Jonathan, that um, I used to work with, he said uh, in client meetings that uh, he would watch me doing a victory lap. <laughs> and he was just joking. He's just screwing with me. Right. But like, you're, you have to like hype that up. Right. Like if, if you're like, Hey, we got you, you know, here's some data, here's some information, like here's some extra sales. That's not enough. You have to really show that tie it back to their business goals tie it back to here's the work that we've been doing, tie it back to like, here's what we said we were gonna execute against. And now we've proven that we've done that. So it's, I think it's just about like the communication aspect of that. It's continually communicating, okay, this is how we're helping your business. Here's the extra like halo effect, like benefit you're getting from this project. I just try to communicate those things in a tactful way, but constantly,
0: yeah, because people forget. People forget all the time. There's this expression. I love that you're doing this. It makes so much sense. Like I think I do this on an unconscious level, but what you're saying is what I'm hearing is like people, what's the expression you need to hear something. Was it seven or eight times before you actually hear it? And what, when you have a win, not only are you saying, Hey, here's the, here's what you got. Like, here's the new revenue. It's here's how it ties back to the goals. Like here's how it ties back to what we said we were going to do. Here's some other benefits that you're probably not even thinking of. Like, and you're just kind of iterating it and hyping it up in a celebratory way. So like the energy is kind of risen from it. So it's like a very feel good experience. People are probably leaving those. I'm assuming those meetings are memorable because it's tied to the emotion. You're trying to evoke the emotion from them, right? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're having fun. Yeah, we're having fun on projects. That's for sure. Like it's intense. It's like intellectually challenging. There's a lot of roadblocks and stuff. But people, like when we have our meetings, here's, here's how I know this works. Because like I'm always looking for the feedback and like, taking notes uh, all the time like I've, I've been taking notes for 15 years and I just always do that and what, what should we do better what should we do different where did we get stuck you know like we're constantly iterating on that so the best feedback that I get is when people slack me after a meeting they're like like a CMO just did this the other day she goes your hour-long sprint call that we have each week is the highlight of my week it's my favorite thing that we do and you're like okay, well, we've checked all the boxes then, right? Because that's exactly how I want her to feel. <laughs> you know, like not only are we making you money, but you're having fun. Like you're learning things, it's helping you progress in your career. Like, like
0: that's, that's a great dynamic. Like that's, why, that's how clients stay with you forever. Gosh, what, what are you covering in the sprint call outside of everything <laughs> you just said that you're getting that result? Because I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah, I'm just almost like, I'm so intrigued. I know we're not gonna cover it all in this this hour call, but like, what else is there that is evoking that response?
1: Okay, so like, think about it like this. So uh, you're, a, you're a CMO of a $50 million business. And like I said, like, let's go with the example of you're spending $100,000 a month on paid search, just in Google, like not even social or anything else, right? So like, that's a normal, like that's a very normal like ads, right? So you're talking like we're spending over a million dollars a year. And if you come out of an individual meeting, and you realize that you're targeting exactly the wrong customer, like that is a game-changing thing for you to realize, right? So like, like here's an example from, like there was a wearable tech company and I have all kinds of crazy stories like this, wearable tech company, they thought they were targeting like, it's like a ring, right? That like takes your, you know, it's kind of like an Apple watch where it like does a bunch of cool stuff like that. They thought they were selling to like the soccer moms, the women who are trying to get in shape after they, oh, excuse me, the opposite of this. They thought they were selling to gym bros, like guys lifting weights or like women lifting weights or like athletes and what they were really selling to the people who were actually buying the product was like the stay at home moms who had just given birth and they like are trying to lose the 10 or 15 pounds. So like, those are two very different target like target audiences, right? So like the design of your website, the content of your website, the content of your emails, that's a totally different segment. So they pivoted their entire business to target a different type of customer. And that's what unlocked their ability to be able to scale so like that's just like i have hundreds of examples of that right so it's it's changing again it comes down to like let's change the way we think about like our market our marketing our customer our product having those that's the halo effect right like there's not a dollar value that you can really put on that but like that's why i always say there's like a halo effect there where that's a huge benefit you can't even really quantify effectively but
0: I mean, that that's like a game-changing thing. For yeah, career, no, so. that's that makes sense. Okay, cool. So this is really hitting home and it's really making sense. And obviously I've worked with about 30 agencies, right? So you're, I think you're actually the only CRO agency. So a lot of the agencies I work with they're not as technical as you, right? So they're not going in every week and providing game-changing insights. A lot of these guys, I have like a handful of web dev and SEO agencies a lot of these SEO agencies is like, here are the results, right? So it's like, but if you're able to even look at that and just come at it like from a different angle of value, helping them take some more data and drive better results, look, you're, they're not a, if you're not a CRO agency, you're not going to be able to do at your level of competency, but just the intent to change the perspective could have a positive halo effect. I
1: think with an SEO agency, this stuff is 10x more important because the timelines are so long, right? It like, it's slow to develop, right? So like, I can have a winning test and make somebody tens of thousands of dollars in 14 days. That's actually like, makes my life easier, right? Because (laughs) that just solves most of the problems with LTV, right? You're like, okay, we've proven in a very short timeframe, we can make you money with like, you can do that with paid search, with paid social. Like a lot of different agencies are structured where there's like direct like defined, very clear results that you can show. And that can work for you or can work against you. Like with SEO, like I know multiple people who own SEO agencies, like you have to be even more structured with this because you have to keep reselling the value of like, look, this is a long-term play. We're not trying to plan for seven days from now. We're trying to plan for seven months from now. So like we have to stick to the program. And I think when you can't show those defined results on very short timelines, I think it's even more important to show those like halo benefits of like other things that you're adding value. And I think you have to like over-communicate that to make sure, again, that they're like constantly seeing the value and like valuing the relationship.
0: Cool. Okay, So we covered three of the pillars or three of the steps. We have two more. Results is number four. Clearly demonstrate results. Tie in all insights to str- yeah, strategic needs. Improve operational efficiencies. Talk to me about this. Like, what do what do I gotta know? What do we gotta know about results when it comes to customer success, increasing LTV? Yeah,
1: I think I think we like dipped into this a little bit already, right? Because I'm just like thinking through this framework all the time. But um, yeah, with the results, like we're showing good, bad. Like the only things that can happen when you're testing, whether you're testing an ad campaign, or you're testing like an SEO tactic, or you're testing like like a new landing page on a website like there's going to be some type of results like you can either improve performance you can actually decrease performance or you can have something that just like has no impact so like there's only those three discrete options right you're either doing win lose or draw no matter what's happening there should be a very clear explanation of here's what we tried here's what happened here are the results and also like what did we learn from this Because the thing, like, I know, like, I'm talking a lot about zero because that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years, but no matter what kind of digital agency you are, there's got to be some strategic value outside of just the results. Like, you need to be teaching on a weekly basis, like, whatever the cadence is for meetings, that client should be coming out of the meeting going, I learned something important, even if it's one bullet point. So, like, whatever campaigns you're running, if it's like, okay, we, you know, we split test, add, copy, and like these two basically were flat in this like fourth variation underperform, well, why? You can't even understand how many meetings I've sat in. (laughs) Like people that work in search and social who are just like, here's what happened. And then the immediate question is, why did that happen? And they're like, I don't know. (laughs) And it's like, well, you have to tell them, right? Like that's what they're paying you to do. So it, it can't just be the results. It's gotta go beyond that. And there has to be like some tie back to like, here's something that we've strategically learned that can help us change what we're doing moving forward. Not everything's gonna be game changing, but like every little learning, it's like compounding interest. That's how I think about this as a concept. It's like you're collecting learnings and it's slowly evolving the way you think and act in the business. And like any digital agency, like has the ability to be able to do that, like for a client. That's what I'm trying to get across with like this specific kind of level of the pyramid here.
0: Yeah, no, this is great. And I'm even learning a lot here, right? One of the things I talk about on a weekly basis, not weekly basis, eh, it's okay. One of the things I talk about on a weekly basis, it usually is being able on a weekly basis to report out data. Most, Jeremy, you would, maybe you wouldn't be shocked, but it is an atrocity the amount of agencies that don't have any data reporting on a weekly basis across all sectors right? They're not talking about results at all. And one of the things I talk about is every single week, your client has to know what data is, what is happening and why, right? And you really nailed it. I wrote down four points. Show me the results, good, better, or like neutral. Have the explanation behind, here's what we tried. Here was the explanation behind it on why we did it. Here was the result and here's what we learned. And with the emphasis on educate the clients, get to the why of the results and why it happened but then really tie it back to here's something we strategically learn that will impact the way we approach your campaign. That is so dialed in. I could see having like a lot of my clients will send loom videos. I could see just having whether a meeting or a loom video, if it's like SEO, because you don't need a freaking meeting every week. Like, Hey, here's what we did this week. Here are the four bullet points and let me talk you through it. That is just so valuable. So thank you so much for outlining that.
1: Absolutely. Here, here's something that will shock you since we're being, uh, you know, radically transparent here, you cannot produce results for months and months at a time. Like in an agency, I've seen this in agencies where like, you know, seven, eight, nine months go by and they're still working in this relationship. We're talking about LTV and they're just not posting the numbers they need to be posting. But because there's this kind of progression of like, we're still learning though. We're still trying things. We're still iterating. Like, like that in and of itself is a valuable thing to offer to a client. Right. So, like, obviously, the results should be there. If you're not getting results for clients, then do better. But um, at the same time, like, I think most agency owners and most people who work in agencies, they just undervalue that so much. And it's wrong. It's just like they're shooting themselves in the foot. Right. Like-
0: oh my God. This is, you know, one of the things I have to do today is like queue up my post for tomorrow. I didn't write my <laughs> weekly content. This is my post for tomorrow. You can keep a client for months at a time when your results are minimal or neutral, just by sharing what you've been doing, what you've been learning and how those learnings are helping iterate the campaign you're running mind blown. Right. Yeah. And I think that just goes to the nature of hope people so badly want their money to come. Like they don't want it to be a waste. So if you show like there's a strategic process that's happening, you can string them along like the carrot, Like putting a carrot in front of a horse type of deal to keep them to still pay you. Holy shit. Well, yeah, I would probably articulate it differently. I understand your point. I would say, um, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we got 15 minutes left in the call, Jeremy. I want to make sure we hit everything. So I want to add one point because this is really important. People buy for different reasons.
1: Like people can buy for things that have nothing to do with like financial results. So like, I, I don't recall this, I have this doc from a long time ago. I didn't, I was trying to find it before, but it must be on like one of my old computers or something. But like from a consulting or agency perspective, there's 14 discrete reasons why someone buys consulting or agency services. And it's not the same for everyone. Some people want a sounding board. Some people want to be able to fire the agency and not be on the hook Right. That's a thing. Wow. Like, to be yeah. Honest here, like that's a thing, right? Some people want to add bandwidth. You know, you go to an agency, you get seven people for the price of one, right? Like that's a big win for like a CMO, like in my industry. So, you know, there's these different reasons that people buy. And that's why like the results are important. It's obviously important to like help clients financially. I think being a good steward of like clients' money is important, but just realize that each client, each like point of contact you have, is going to be buying for different reasons. And if you don't understand what that reason is, you need to figure it out because you may be optimizing for the wrong thing.
0: Shit. That's mind boggling. So I didn't know that, right? And I could think of, you know, there are 14 reasons. I have a prospect who we're about to sign the dotted line. He's in the UK and he told me, we're producing amazing results for our clients, but we're getting fired every week. I mean, one, they have a really bad customer success process, but then two, they're just not optimizing for one of those 14 reasons. Like the clients, they're clearly not hiring them just for their ROI. There's more.
1: Yeah. And, and they have to figure that out because that's this, this whole thing is about LTV. Right. And like, that's a, that's a critical
0: component of it that people don't realize. I mean, if we had more time, I'd ask you how we figured that out, but for, <laughs> the, for the sake of time, yeah. I have a list of things I'm going to email you because I would love to, if you're cool with it, just, just get my insight and eyes on it. Take me through the last point trust, right? So, the point number five is laying the foundation in the first 90 days is what sets up for success and makes us an irreplaceable outsourced growth team. Can you talk to me about trust? Yeah. I think like that's
1: the point that we're optimizing for. Like, that's why it's the, the top of the pyramid. Like, trust is how you maintain long-term relationships, like in anything, in your personal life, in your business life, with a client, with your employees, like like trust is the ultimate thing that we're looking for, right? Like that's what helps people perform at their highest level. That's what like helps maintain like healthy dynamic of like in a, in a team or a project or a process or anything like that. So all of this is structured to like build authentic trust and like like a long-term business relationship, right? So like, that's what we're trying to get to. If you check all of these boxes, I know if you broke it out, it's like you know thirty bullet points or something. But if you check all of those boxes, you don't have to try to build trust like you've done it, right? So you know from an LTV perspective, you know I've had clients who've been with me for three and a half years, and like the only reason that we stopped working together is because I left to start my own agency. You know that particular client, they're still with my old agency. They've been with them for seven years now. That's just the level of trust we built with them. So ninety days is a very short timeline the reason that i use that is like we don't have forever right like we don't have 17 months to prove that we can have <laughs> this level of trust and like value exchange so we're trying to accelerate that as much as possible and the cl- you know the faster we can get to that point you can feel it in like meetings you can feel it in the dynamic with with like a client where there's like a tipping point that they go from like you know, questioning something, you know, like there's little things that come up, right? Like, hey, did you guys get this or like them checking on you? Like there's those kind of little things that kind of crop up in the like interactions you have with a client that you can kind of just feel where you're like, oh man, okay, we just got to get to this point where everybody's like comfortable and happy. But once you hit that, it's like, it's getting over the hill and then it's like a downhill slide, right? Like, yeah, I
0: I feel that. I feel that like on so many levels, you know, I have, I have a lot of clients that, the the majority of my clients, right? I have probably 10%, maybe I I could look at the data, but 80% of my clients are the same for the long-term, right? There are guys like you, David Riggs, like just like there are a bunch of you that I, we have just such a great relationship. You're my friend, you're my colleague, like I'm your confidant, I'm your coach, I'm your consultant, I'm your business partner. I'm so many things, but like the biggest thing that all this is built on, is like, I trust you. I like you, I respect you. And I feel like I could share everything with you. And I feel like I'm not going to be betrayed or anything like that. And, yeah. you know, you talk about the 14 points. I think it really just hits home when you say that last point of, if you establish really good trust with people, like they'll, they'll stay for a really long time, you know? And it's interesting to think about that for my guys, like, I remember training, I'm still training one of my guys, like, how do you articulate how to build trust? What is the strategy to include? And the first 90 days is a huge one. Like if you could effectively onboard them, display a fuck ton of value, show them the value, and then all of your five steps, I'm not going to iterate all of them, Damn. people will say for a long time, they'll trust you. So dude, what a fucking call, man. I'm still nerded. I'm still geeked, full nerd right now. If I've listened to this or anyone who's listening to this has heard of everything, they're freaking out and they, are, they still want a little bit more. I'm actually going to turn this question on you. It's not where you think it might be going. <laughs> What's the last golden nugget that you would like to drop on myself and the audience listening to this for everything that we discussed around increasing LTV and just customer success in general?
1: Yeah, man, it's tough because there's so much there's just hundreds of pages of this stuff. Then I've just like worked on it for so long. It's like, it's like picking your favorite child. You know what I mean? Like which, which component of this matters the most. And like, (sighs) I guess guess the takeaway is, is maybe it's this. And I'm like thinking of this in real time, but like the takeaway is if you skip any one of these, you're screwed. I think that's the major takeaway. You have to check all the boxes. If you miss any of the boxes, if you don't check one of the boxes, like, your LTV is gonna underperform versus what it otherwise would be. There's nothing included in here that's not mission critical and there's nothing left out. Like I know that, so you just have to check the boxes. Like don't, if like go back, analyze all your stuff, whatever key
0: parts you're missing in there, you just gotta make process changes like right now. Unbelievable. So Jeremy, I know you opened up a huge can of worms for me where it's like, I have a list of two, four, six, about eight things that I'm going to request if you grant me the opportunity to look at just so I could better learn, like take the concept and actually see the application here. And for everyone listening, I know you have a very specific niche. First and foremost, who's your niche? Just in case the person listening, it falls within that. As far as like, who are my clients? Yeah. Who do you serve? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it, typically it's like
1: 25 to hundred million dollar like startups, if you can call them that at that stage, like growth stage
0: businesses better they're trying to scale essentially so right and if someone is hearing this and they happen to fall in that niche where can i find you how can i get in contact with you oh most people ping
1: me on linkedin that's like the main thing that people do they come and find me and they like read some of my stuff and then they ask me some
0: questions and then they go Hey, can you make us money? <laughs> that's Jeremy Epperson on LinkedIn, E P P E R S O N. And for everyone else that's listening, we're like, wow, I love this guy. I want more of him. Where can they find you? Or how can they learn more from you? I, I think that's the thing.
1: I, I don't do social. Like I do LinkedIn and I post. Like typically I've taken like a month off or something. But um, yeah, I post constantly. I also respond to everyone. Like, I don't even know if I should be opening that can of worms, but like, I've, nobody has ever messaged me unless they're spamming me when like any question that's any, ever been asked from me, from anyone in the world, I've answered thoughtfully.
0: And like, I think that's just a part of like being a good steward. Who, who so, yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny you say, I'm, I don't know if I should be opening up this can of worms. <laughs> Every podcast I've ever been on, I say something pretty similar, trickles, like it, people rarely ever ask questions. And I even offer that to like people I have like demo calls with. Hey, if you ever have any questions, just hit me up. People don't take you up, take you up on that. So guys, like this is a goat. Actually, I don't know if I should be selling your time away right now. Jeremy's the goat. If you have questions, he will be thoughtful and respond. So last thing I know in the next, you know, maybe year, maybe more, maybe less, there's a book coming out. Let's say this is in the future and the book might be out. Do we have a definitive name of what the book will be? Uh, no, I'm still working with the publisher on that. We have three options that we're choosing. From. Okay. So at what point in the future, let's say this is two years into the future, the book is out. How can I get their hands on it? Like, should they just Google Jeremy Epperson book? Like, what will they? Oh
1: yeah, the, they'll be able to find it. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be published by Forbes. It's going to be everywhere. Like they can be able to buy it on Amazon, everything like that. So. All right.
0: If you're watch, listening to this in the future, when Jeremy has his book, fucking buy it. I know I will. Awesome. Jeremy, it is always a astute pleasure to just share your time and energy, man. And like, gosh, I, we might have to do a part two, cause I'm going to have so many questions, but dude, thank you so much for your time. Fucking love you, bro. And I hope you're staying warm up in
1: Tahoe. <laughs> I'm trying to. Thanks, man. You're the best. Talk soon.